God, did you did you watch this movie? When did you watch this to prepare? So I watched it on Saturday evening because Saturday was the day I decided to do all my chores, <laughs> and I lumped this into a chore. Yep. Um, and it very much was. When did you watch it? Oh, this morning. I watched it this morning. <laughs> um, because I just didn't feel like doing it all weekend and I figured I wanted it to be more fresh in my mind and so yeah after I got that done this morning I felt accomplished like I felt like I really (laughs) did something for the day so that was all right but yep two hours and 18 minutes was a long time to endure this film (laughs) (laughs) yeah not not my favorite thus far, easily. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So I'm Jesse and I'm Erin, and, and we're, we're the, the Cage, Cage Queens. Queens. <laughs> and today we will be talking about uh, the Cotton Club, which is what number movie is this in our oh. Rasta sixth movie so, yeah, so far. That that we've done. Um, it was released in 1984. Once again, unfortunately, Nick Cage was not the headliner. Um, so we had to watch two hours and 18 minutes of not Nicolas Cage's face, which probably made it so hard. Um, and this movie was what? It was pretty much set in the, was it the 1920s? It was the uh, 20s and 30s, like late 20s and early 30s um, during the bootlegging times and the stock market crash and then into the 30s uh, where things were still pretty wild, I guess. Yes. And so the setting is kind of just primarily focused around the cotton club which is kind of just this like exclusive club for white people to get entertainment and there's musicians dancers and mobs pretty much and the star of the film richard gear yes he's the star um featuring also diane lane which is an actress that Nicolas Cage has worked with in the past. And then um, some other people and Nick Cage. <laughs> there was actually quite a few people that I recognized in this film. And that's kind of surprising for me because, you know, I don't, I don't know names. I don't watch movies. But one of the people that I recognized was Baby from Dirty Dancing. She had a role mm-hmm. in it. Yep, yeah, yeah, Jennifer Grey. I made that note, too. Uh, I'm going to jump the gun, like, well, maybe I'll save it. I was going to make another connection with Dirty Dancing, but later in the movie, Richard Gere, uh, his, or Dixie or whatever, he says, um, or he, he, he's telling Vera his backstory, like the job that he used to do where he used to dance professionally with older (laughs) women for hire, and then he would sleep with them afterwards sometimes. And I was like, that's some dirty dancing shit. For real. Damn. He used to work with the Sways. Yeah. <laughs> and then I looked it up and Dirty Dancing came out in 87. So. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, another person that I 
found out was in this movie was Morpheus. <laughs> Did you from uh, uh, the, the Matrix? Matrix. <laughs> he was also in Rumblefish. Was he? Yeah, he was Damn in it. Rumblefish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, missed him there. <laughs> At least I didn't miss him this time. But yeah, so uh, the Matrix is a movie that you and I have not seen before, but in preparation for this podcast, we decided to watch and <laughs> and just experiment with that one. And Morpheus was a character of interest. And so I was, I was glad to see our homeboy again with Nick Cage because it was a familiar face. I was hoping you'd recognize him, at least in this one, because he was really actually difficult to recognize in Rumblefish. He was the dude who just kind of like was around and like narrated a little bit um with the oh, hat oh uh, yep yep i remember that okay yeah and at the uh, or during that weird scene where rusty james is like floating around and he's, yeah. he goes he's in the the pool hall and the guy and and lawrence fishburne uh morpheus is like to rusty james a very cool dude Yep. Okay. I I definitely remember that. Jesus. Uh-huh. I hope we see more of him. <laughs> oh. Um. Have you ever seen Pet Cemetery, the original one? Yeah. It's been a really long time, though. Like really long time since I've seen it. Okay. Well, the other guy I recognized was Frenchie who plays Judd in Pet Cemetery, and Judd's the guy that pretty much just tells the family about the, the, the Pet Cemetery, and he's kind of just the neighbor that gets involved and has, uh, just has a, you know, side role. But yeah, so I recognized three other people, and I was, I was living for it. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a Francis Ford Coppola movie, which explains the um overlap for like morpheus and nick cage and also tom waits who was the bartender in rumblefish and then he played somebody in this movie a fairly (laughs) minor character all you know kind of like his bartender um role and i also didn't really know who he was until i had to look him up on imdb but Mm. They're they're all in Francis Ford Coppola movies, and I'm sure there's more that I'm missing, but, like, there's a lot of overlap. Is Morpheus a key in Francis Ford Coppola movies? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> because the way you said that made me think that... The Matrix was directed by Francis Ford Coppola, which I know isn't true, but that's where my mind went at first, and I was thinking, is this is this the magic key that is holding everything together? It's not Nick Cage, it's Morpheus? Like, should we rename our podcast? Should we have maybe chosen a different actor? The Morpheus Maidens. Maybe that's our next one after we run out of cage material. Oh, God. It's going to be a long time before we run out of cage material. You know what I keep wanting to watch that I see on Netflix is that um, the history of swear words. 
I was just about to ask you if you had watched any of that yet. I want to, but then part of me feels like it's ruining my, you know, our our take on this because we're going in, uh, you know, a chronological uh, order. Yeah. 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 But then at the same time, I'm like, fuck it. We've seen we've both seen a lot of his other movies. So, like, does it really matter if I watch this before I'm supposed to? <laughs> I will tell you that. No, it does not matter because I've already watched the first two episodes. Oh! <laughs> Is it good? <laughs> um, it was, it was pretty all right. It was kind of like just another one of those shows that Netflix keeps cranking out um, that highlights something or another. Uh, really, we wanted to watch it to make sure that they actually swore in the show when they weren't, like, being colorful with the language you know we wanted them to actually be dropping f-bombs and so you know they do (laughs) (laughs) okay cool um all right well now i won't feel bad if i watch it because i know that you went down that road Mm -hmm. but anyways we're getting sidetracked we need to be talking about this stupid movie that we had to watch this time around which was the cotton club Mm -hmm. And it's based on this main character whose name is Dixie. That's Richard's part. And he kind of gets involved with this, um, I guess, mob head who um, eventually takes him on as kind of this, like, wingman, I guess. And Dixie's brother is Nicolas Cage's character. And so that's kind of the role that he plays in this. And it's a very minor role. I mean, we see him randomly throughout, but every time we see him, it's not for a long duration. Like, I feel like at each, like, scene, he didn't get more than, like, a minute of screen time because he was very limited. But I gotta say, when he first um, made an appearance in the movie, it took me a minute to recognize him because... They just look so different because, for one, of the, you know, the the 20s, 30s kind of, like, clothing that they wear. I didn't recognize him. And then they also have these really thin mustaches. (laughs) And his face with a thin mustache just is not compatible. And so when I finally realized it was him, I was like, oh, shit. Like, that's who that is? I, I was taken aback. Yeah, I also made a note about that mustache. I was going to say, not not much to ride on that stash. (laughs) (laughs) Zing. (laughs) But, (laughs) um, anyways. (sighs) Uh, Yeah. One of my favorite scenes is um, when Nick, who his character's name is Vincent, um, kind of reunites with his brother Dixie and they're at their mom's house and Nick uh, just got married and whose character is uh, Jennifer Grey. And uh, they're all in a room and then Jennifer Grey's character comes in with this Itty bitty little kitty. <laughs> and it's just like, it's the sweetest looking like Siamese fluffy kitty. And it's a, a baby and it's so cute. And she's just kind of like holding it. And Nick Cage goes, leave the cat alone. 
Did you see and how weird I, she was holding it, though, when she first walked in with it? It's like yeah. tail, its tail was all stuck out, and it looked very uncomfortable. Yeah, so Nick Cage is a, is a proud pussy protector. <laughs> Leave the cat alone. Yeah, so I was happy to see that there was an animal kind of early on and that Nick Cage came to its defense because uh, I I wanted to see him holding the kitten because then that would have been my new screensaver on my phone. But alas, there was no shot of that. (laughs) Not yet anyways. Maybe maybe in an upcoming film. (laughs) We only have 80 more to go. (laughs) So... uh, Dixie, he's like a musician, so he can do a lot of different things. He plays the piano and he plays the cornet, which is one of like the world's most annoying instruments. Personally, <laughs> <laughs> did you uh, did you ever did you uh, take band? Like, were you like in band in school? Yeah, I played the flute, but my uh, band instructor, Mister Angeloff. Um, said I didn't have the right embouchure for it, and he wanted me to play clarinet, but I told him I wasn't going to do that, and so I got a, the flute anyways, and he would always yell at me because I wasn't any good at it because <laughs> I didn't have the right mouth structure, <laughs> but I, I was being defiant and kept going, um, but yeah, I was in band. <laughs> I... Uh, tried out for it. I really wanted to be in like the orchestra, but my school didn't have one. Yep. So I was like, I guess band's the next best thing. So I tried out and they like, they fit you for like one of the three instruments that they yeah. give like the fifth graders. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, um, if you choose to join the band, uh, you're going to play the cornet. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to do this after all. <laughs> oh my god so wait you didn't even get a choice they just designed you Uh uh-huh based on your natural your embouchure exactly (laughs) (laughs) oh wow yeah so did you end up uh going to choir instead i did i did choir briefly in some point in my life i did i briefly did choir now i don't remember what fucking grade it was was it sixth grade something like that i did i did one semester of choir though like i did a singular semester of choir because i was not good at it yeah our because our school made us either do um choir band or orchestra like we had to do at least one year of it and i i didn't want to do any of them but i didn't want to do choir the most because with choir you had to sing a solo like everyone got like you know tested on their solo abilities and i was like there's no way i'm doing that so i didn't do that and i i wasn't smart enough to do orchestra so <laughs> i just went with band yeah i tried choir um i tried soprano and <laughs> didn't work <laughs> it wasn't good enough uh and then i tried the other one which is what alto I, I don't know them all. I don't know them all, clearly. I, know. I tried. We only had a couple options. It wasn't a very big school choir. And uh, none of them really uh, 
were good for me. And then, like, one of the stage performances, I, like, literally vomited beforehand and was like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm destined for this. <laughs> I'm not a performer. Oh, no, um, me neither. That shit was always rough. And band, we had to, we used to, like, you know, where I'm from, we have stupid, sh- like, festivals and so the fucking band would always have to play during those events. And we had to, like, <laughs> I remember one of the songs that we had to learn was, I'm a believer. <laughs> <laughs> and we would just play it on repeat, marching through the streets with sunglasses on. We look so stupid. <laughs> oh, God. But, yeah. I'm just glad those days of my life are over because <laughs> I don't miss them. <sighs> yeah, but this guy would probably thrive in that setting because he loved his coronet. Yeah, and he had, like, that wild ability to just, like, play any song that somebody requests. <laughs> right, like, I just have this shit memorized. Like, I don't understand no, why I people don't, do that. I don't get it. I don't either. It doesn't make any sense, but... um. Yeah, so he was a musician, and Nick Cage was kind of a nobody. Dixie did the Dutchman a favor, and so the Dutchman kind of took him under his wing. Mm -hmm. And Nick Cage was like, hey, I'm Dixie's brother. And he's like, okay, you can work for me too. Mm -hmm. But Nick Cage took on the role of, like, I I think that what they gambled for, like, um, on on horse races or something like that. And so Nick Cage kind of took on... A, a different role than Dixie. He was more of the boots on the ground, like, I guess, implementer of bad deeds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was just like the guy with the gun going and doing the dirty job. The one that mm-hmm. will get busted if he gets caught kind of situation. The one that's going to take the heat. Yes, and again, his character is portrayed as very, like, wild, energetic, you know, Nick's go-to, like, crazy guy character. So it makes sense. Um, This movie, though, he wasn't portrayed as the ladies' man. That was his brother, Dixie, and I was... I was hurt by that. (laughs) Because that was was an ongoing theme that we saw, and this was finally the, the one that broke it. But, I mean, he did upkeep with his bad boy reputation yes i was gonna say he was definitely not not going after the ladies (laughs) (laughs) he would go after the ladies they just did not want him back in this situation yeah uh that was one of my one of my favorite moments i mean not where he was yelling at the ladies who were like dancing but when he uh when he was at the club with Dixie like when Dixie brought the whole family to the club uh to like hang out or whatever and he was yelling at all the the dancers before they sat down and then after he sat down he like did a weird yell which was (laughs) (laughs) one of my favorite parts I just couldn't get over it you know sometimes I just feel like he does these strange things just to like bring the attention to him like Mm -hmm. I feel like that shit probably wasn't scripted, but he's like, 
you know, the camera's not focused in on me. How can I get it focused on me? And then by like doing these weird noises and movements and all this kind of shit, then you're just like drawn to him when you're not supposed to be. (laughs) So yeah, he knows how to catch the eye and the ears. Oh, and then also his mustache accentuates the fact that his teeth are still in their natural state of fucked. (laughs) And we're not very far from the last couple movies. I think they were all filmed right around the same time. So Mm -hmm. we haven't hit a, a big enough break for him to get it fixed, I guess. Or he hasn't made enough money. (laughs) I'm wondering that, like, once he actually starts starring in roles, if that's when he's gonna start, Mm -hmm. you know, getting his look more polished. A.K.A. his teeth. (laughs) 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 There's all this stuff going on in... Partly because of the the era that it was in, only, like, black people could work at the club and they weren't allowed to actually, I guess, um, enjoy the club. Like, they couldn't come in and have a drink or watch the shows or anything. They were just kind of seen as the the people to put on the entertainment, um, which is obviously fucked up. And they used... Uh, Nick Cage used the N-word. And I was taken aback. I was like, whoa. Yeah, I, uh, the number of racial slurs, like, I get it. It was the time period. But being in the political (laughs) climate that we are currently in, it was very uncomfortable. I know. I hated it so much. It made me so uncomfortable. And, yeah, I just, I couldn't imagine, like, Because, I mean, they were in the 80s recording that kind of stuff. And, like, I think it was still understood that it was unacceptable then, too. But I wonder if, like, if people would still take on these types of roles that kind of, I don't know, highlight racism and this kind of shit. I don't know what I'm saying. (laughs) I think more people are willing to to take those types of roles if they are historically accurate and don't right um belittle the the black experience in in a really bad right. way like yeah it's an unfortunate part of history that we are still dealing with so exactly and um and today's MLK day did you do did you do anything to to celebrate, celebrate <laughs> diversity and inclusion I stayed in my apartment most of the day to, you know, prevent the spread of the coronavirus. <laughs> Look at so... you. And, I mean, the coronavirus does disproportionately harm black people, so you are doing your part. <laughs> I am. And I'm not going to say that the city that I live in is mostly white <laughs> or anything, but hey. <laughs> oh, God. I had to... I had to take a training because um, the school 
that I'm going to recently kind of adopted this um, new diversity clause. And so everyone has to kind of take this training, you know, just like we all have to take a training on sexual harassment and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it just baffles me about like the stuff that they have to train us on just seems like such common sense. And for people to not understand that or like, you know, adopt that in their everyday life just blows my mind. But Hey, I guess it's an educational institution, and so they're there to, they're there to teach. But, anyways, yeah, a lot of racism in this movie. Suck to watch. <laughs> That's very true, and I just I, I kind of feel bad saying that I really hated watching all the tap dancing. <laughs> yeah, I did too. <laughs> it was. I don't, I don't like tap dancing. <laughs> I don't either, and it's. <sighs> It's just part of my hate for for a lot of things that are artistic. <laughs> and <laughs> it just speaks to how shitty I am for enjoying the creative things in life. But yeah, don't like tap dancing. Don't like coronet players. <laughs> um <laughs> Oh, I got I got a thing to say about one of the performances. Um, Ooh, I don't know if you, did you ever watch Sister Sister on TV? Yes. I uh, yep. remember Lisa Landry, the mom. She was mm-hmm. like real sassy. Oh, yep. Yep. I remember her. Mm-hmm. She had a whole musical number um, in this movie, uh, like a whole singing number and everything. Uh, her name is Jack A. Harry. Yeah, so she was in it. Like, she had a whole musical number. And I think, based on the what I saw from the end credits, was that that entire scene was actually cut for the original movie and was added in for the encore version. Hmm. Along with some other ones. Was she the one... So there was a woman that sang about... There, there was like a black guy and a white girl on stage, and it. I think the song was about them like loving each other but not being able to love each other, and they were like doing a dance while this lady sang. Was that Mm-mm. the the? Not that one. It was the other one where she just had her own. She was the only one on stage, pretty much singing. Yeah, she was in like pajamas almost, and um, oh, was yeah. fighting with the dude. <laughs> Telling him that he's a piece of trash because he was sleeping with somebody else. Oh, yeah, that one was good. I liked that one. I liked that one, too. That was a good one. Um, But that was her. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, So pretty much what happens... In the in between is Dixie gets involved with the Dutchman's bullshit. He kind mm. of is responsible for giving the Dutchman's like mistress a good time, but they're not allowed to sleep together. He's like her bodyguard, basically. He's he's her escort, I guess, is what you would yeah. call it, to make sure that she doesn't like sleep with anybody else, but also like protect her. So yeah, kind of really shitty. But anyways. Yeah, so then there's this kind of, like, weird love connection that happens to them. They, like, 
hate each other because they're both under the hand of the Dutchman, but at the same time, they kind of have this, uh, I guess, magnetism towards each other. But one scene that really fucked me up was, so they were at the Cotton Club, and Dixie's like, hey, come dance with me. And so then they start dancing, and then they start getting, like, really mad at each other because... For, for whatever reason. And then they start like slapping each other. He starts like dragging her over the floor. He's like really like rough and pulling her and stuff. And then everyone on the dance floor just looks at them like they're doing this new dance move. And then they start slapping each other. And it just like, <laughs> it was the weirdest shit. I had, I didn't understand what was going on, why they were even fighting, why no one thought that was, uh, I guess, harassment in any type of form or like, I just didn't get the the meaning of that. It was really weird. No, that one fucked me up too, because that was right after or shortly after um, Dixie had told her all about the being a male gigolo or whatever, dancing yeah. with older ladies, um, the dirty dancing connection that I was talking about earlier. Ah, so that was like yep. right after that. And my note uh, was like, Dixie and Vera fuck. I don't know why. Dixie was acting <laughs> like a total douche dragging her on the dance floor. Like, what the fuck? It was so so awkward her body was just like laying on the floor but he like grabbed her arm and was just kind of like using her as like a broom to clean up the floor it was it was so uncomfortable to watch oh my god yeah that one really fucked me up i still like didn't get over it even when they ended up together in the end and everything i was just like he dragged you on the (laughs) floor and yet that's cool yeah, and yet he's, like, how do you see him as a better man, as someone that's protecting you? Like, what? It was so weird. But, yeah, throughout this whole time, they kind of had this, like, they just always shat on each other. But And, obviously, in the end, they end up together, and they're in love, and it's just, like, when did, when did this happen? Like, <laughs> I saw nothing but hate. <laughs> um, yeah. It was maybe it was because they just spent so much time together that they eventually fell in love. And also, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Richard Gere never stabbed a dude through the throat or anything. So. <laughs> True. I guess he has that going for him. I don't know. This movie just kept taking like weird turns that I wasn't expecting. So, like for example, Richard uh, Gere's um, character ends up being casted as a mob boss. For a movie. Oh, yeah. Dixie becomes a movie star in, like, a really ironic way. He's working for the mob, and then he becomes a mob character in a movie that I think was funded by Oni Madden, one of the other mob guys. Yeah, which was, like, the head head, so he was, like, in charge of the Dutchman and everything. Like, he was the godfather. (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering about uh, those godfather connections since you just recently watched it. Yeah. (laughs) I was making them. I was drawing little maps in my brain, like, all right, I understand how the mob works now, so. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so, ironically, um, Dixie's character 
was never really heavily involved in the mob, but he got casted as the mob boss because he was a good-looking guy. And so then he was able to get out of the mob and went off to Hollywood. And while he was kind of progressing in his career, Nick spiraled. He was going down the 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 bad path. Um, there was one instance where, like, I guess I'm not completely sure what happened. They, I think... Uh, their mo- their gang was kind of like placing bets on something and this other group of people couldn't meet the bets. And so then Nick Cage went up there and shot the whole place up with like a machine gun. It was brutal. Yeah, I was real confused about like the betting thing. I couldn't tell if they were talking about like fixing bets or something like that. I- it was way over my head. I've never fully understood gambling. Like, you remember Same. when we went to that casino for my birthday, and we literally, like, only played the slots and still, like, didn't make anything and lost exactly. what we, we bet? <laughs> exactly. Yep. That's, yeah, not even comfortable with that, because I don't know what any of the symbols mean. Like, I don't get it. But, yeah, so something happened where it triggered something bad and Nick Cage was the one to clean up the mess through killing people. (laughs) And that wasn't the last of his killings. (laughs) Oh, are you getting into the big, the big scene? Um, Yes. He's working for the Dutchman still, and he wanted more recognition, more money and was insulted because he wasn't offered enough. Mm-hmm. And then one of the Dutchman's men kills Popke. And then to get revenge. Which is like Nick's, it's his boy. Like it's his partner in crime. His, like that's yeah. his oh, best friend sidekick. pretty much. His sidekick, sidekick I would yeah. like to call. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's more of a sidekick. He doesn't do anything and he only gets half the money. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Nick Cage or Vince or what, whoever, he tries to orchestrate a drive-by shooting to kill this guy who killed Popke. Um, but things go south when there's a bunch of kids on the street and the dudes in the car start shooting wildly and they hit like three or four kids in the process of shooting this dude and they do hit him and kill him. But Nick Cage, Vince, was not in the car. He wasn't shooting. But everybody thinks he was because it was his hit that he... Uh, plotted so he has to go into hiding yes he is labeled as just this ravenous kid killer mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah i i want to say i saw like because they were kind of just like briefly showing like newspaper headings of the incident and what happened and i want to say someone referred to him as a mad dog <laughs> Oh, yes, that is a thing I have um, actually to to bring up. A little little bit of trivia for you. Oh, I can't. Uh, let's do it. All right. So it was, I found this on IMDb, um, doing my little bit of research beforehand. Mm-hmm. So the Nicolas Cage character, Vincent Mad Dog Dwyer, was based on an actual Irish gangster named Vincent Mad Dog Cole. Uh, oh. It's C-O-L-L, so I'm just going to say Cole. Um, and then they mentioned that Cage is also the nephew of Francis Ford Coppola. 
Uh, in real life, Cole was a young hothead who started a bootlegging war with Dutch Schultz in 1931. As in the film, Cole was responsible for a drive-by shooting where he and his henchmen tried to kill one of Schultz's men, but a child playing on the street was accidentally killed. In the film, the child who was killed in the shooting is played by a young Sofia Coppola. So, hmm. more nepotism. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Also, like Dwyer, Cole was shot to death by Schultz's men while making calls in a drugstore telephone booth. What? So, yep. So is this movie, like, based off true events? Um, I think it's, like, fiction, nonfiction, where they have, like, it's like a historical fiction kind of thing, where they mm-hmm. have a lot of real characters um, but it's not a fully real story. I think there's some some events in there that are like loosely based on real events um, because they do have like Cab Calloway and Duke Ellington are characters, right? Um, and those were people in real life, so like they do reference um, real people. So I think it was just uh, kind of tying like some weird historic mob events into this just to make it seem more realistic, maybe? Huh. That makes it kind of cool. Yeah. Um, what I was wondering, so, yeah, eventually Nick Cage, you know, he he does get killed in a phone booth, and something drops either out of his hand. I think it's out of his hand. It's, like, red things. Did you catch what those were? I didn't. I'm, I mean, I have the movie pulled up. I'm just going to. I think he has candy in his hands. <laughs> I think that's candy. Aww. Uh-huh. Damn. That's a, he had a whole handful of it. <laughs> well, that's less climactic. Yeah. He's trying to get his snack on and my boy gets shot up. <laughs> um, that was pretty much oh, um this is random, but I guess related to, you know, Dixie once Vincent is, you know, accused of these kid killings. He goes into hiding and he kidnaps um, Frenchie. Frenchie, who is Judd from Pet Cemetery. <laughs> who is, but anyways, Frenchie is kind of like the, the, the bodyguard of the, the godfather-like figure. And um, so he kidnaps him to try to get um, a ransom so he can get some money. And um, he only accepts the ransom from Dixie, his brother. And in this scene, he says my favorite phrase. Um, it's, I'm a tough guy now. <laughs> but that was really, that was really the only phrase I could get <laughs> that I liked from him. <laughs> yeah, he didn't have a lot of good lines in this one, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Does everybody hate me? Um. Yeah, because my actual favorite scene is shortly after that when Frenchie and Madden reunite. <laughs> that whole scene. I love that. Yeah, so oh. pretty much Frenchie's like, he gets kind of upset because he thinks that um, his boss only paid like $500 for him. And he's like very butthurt about it, breaks his watch. <laughs> and then the guy's like, what are you talking about? I paid 50 grand for your ass. And then he's like, wow, 50 grand? <laughs> and then he... Well, and he's like, and and he only asked for 35, but I'd pay 50 for you. 
Yes, they just had this strong bromance, and it was so cute. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, "Oh, here, I had, a, I, I got you another watch." <laughs> and so it was just, it was a really adorable scene. Yeah, I wrote that down too because it was like, love that for them. <laughs> but that was a very great scene. I loved it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, then the movie pretty much ended. That um, the Dutchman kind of went rampant. Then there was a new Italian mob boss in town, and he kind of killed off the Dutchman and all his cronies. And so then um, Vera was free. She was no longer, you know, the the woman of the Dutchman, and so she was able to leave with Dixie on a train back to Hollywood, so that they could live happily ever after. And that was finally the end of that. <laughs> yeah, there was the whole other subplot of the Williams brothers dancing, but oh, yeah. we mentioned earlier that we're not really tap people. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, the, I... <laughs> the story was, was interesting. I mean, I will say that... Uh, the one brother that they focus mostly on, what did what they call him, Sandman? Yeah. yeah. Sandman Williams. He has, like, a weird obsession with one of the dancers that kind of makes me uncomfortable, and I don't know why she falls in love with him, because he's too mm-hmm. persistent in, like, that really annoying way. But, <laughs> I wrote that down, too. <laughs> but, you know, they're happy together, too, I think, right? By the end mm-hmm. of everything? Th- yeah, by the end. Yep. Yeah. And, uh... The Williams brothers, they have a little sister, Winona, who we find out towards the end was sleeping with Bumpy, who is Lawrence Fishburne (laughs) slash Morpheus. Morpheus! (laughs) Fucking Morpheus just going to town on his boy's little sister. (laughs) Classic Morpheus. (laughs) Yeah, classic Morpheus. Um, Getting his dick wet. Yep. Yeah, yeah, there yeah, there was there was a whole nother a oh. whole nother story about that, but But you know what that that just we can tie it in a little further. So Sandman, he saves Dixie's life when he kicks the gun out of Dutchman's hand. Oh yeah. <laughs> I remember, like, he was in the middle of a a tap feature, and then the Dutchman pulls out a gun and starts, like, you know, going, going nutsoids, and then the, the Sandman's just like, nope, and just, like, eloquently, like, (laughs) just, like, uses his toes to just get that gun out of that man's hand, and it was very, like, staged. Yeah, he, like, high-kicked it out of the dude's hand, and it flew through the window and out on the street, which yeah. <laughs> was pretty impressive. It was. Yeah, I guess his his tap dancing skills came to use to save the day, because he was very quick on his feet. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't have much more to say about this movie. How would it rank, out of the six movies we watched, mm-hmm. how would it rank... For you, um, I liked it more than uh, the first few movies. Not Fast Times. I will never. I mean, I love Fast Times. That one still mm-hmm. is one of my favorites. But that's for different reasons. Um, but as far as like you know, Nick Cage works go, I'd say my favorite one so far might be the Racing with the Moon, the last one that we watched. Mm-hmm. That might be my favorite Nick Cage one so far, and this one might be my second favorite. 
Ooh. I didn't really like Rumblefish at all. <laughs> I mean, that one's very low on the <laughs> list for me. So low. I hated that movie so much. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know I if know. I hit I'm it well, but I really hated it. Yeah, I'm still scarred by Rusty James. Oh, God. Um, I think Valley Girl is probably my favorite. Oh, just fuck. because. I forgot about that yeah. one. That's the one I forgot about. I liked Valley Girl. Okay, so I'm going to say... I'm going to say Valley Girl's number two. I actually did like the... I still liked Racing with the Moon more than Valley Girl. Yeah, I, th- I think Racing with the Moon would probably be my second. This one would probably be my third. Then Rumblefish. And then Fast Times at Ridgemont High, just because I've never seen it. And then The Best of Times. <laughs> oh, when I send you... Um... The Boy in Blue, which I'm going to do soon, I promise. I've got to buy a portable disc drive this week. And then when I send that DVD to you, I'll send you Fast Times if you want. Oh, good. Yes. Yes. Because I think I want to watch that for other than Nick Cage motivated reasons. It just sounds like a a good 80s movie that I want to enjoy. Yeah. It's just a fun 80s movie. It really is. So, um, yeah, I'll send that one to you. Cool. So... Yeah, The Boy in Blue is coming up, but our next one is actually called Birdie. And the snippet for this movie on IMDb says, After two friends return home from the Vietnam War, one becomes mentally unstable and obsesses with becoming a bird. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Oh my god, is this really what we're watching? Okay, but the thing is... It's described as drama slash war, so I don't know if it's... It's probably not supposed to be funny, but it kind (laughs) of seems like it might be. I I see what you mean. I see what you mean. I think it's supposed to be serious, but also... I'm going to try really hard not to laugh at mental illness. Yes, exactly. But I think Nick Cage looks uh, like a very main character in this one. Yes, he so he is second on the list, um, followed by Matthew Modine. Modine. And Modine. So yeah. Matthew Modine is the one that plays Birdie. So I don't know if Nick Cage is gonna be the crazy one and I don't think he Nick is. Cage, <laughs> that's gonna be Whoever's calling themselves Birdie <laughs> might be the one who wants to fly. So Yep. <laughs> I mean, I think Nick is going to be the companion here. Yes, and his name is El Colombato. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but um yeah, he's he's second on the list, so that is hopefully signs that he's going to have some some good screen time. Uh I just typed birdie and a bunch of badminton shit came up. <laughs> uh, prime video. Okay, cool. Um, sweet. So then that's going to be the next one we do. I'm excited. It sounds interesting. It has 7.3 stars on IMDb, so could be good. God, I could hope Could become a next favorite. <laughs> I, I do too, because the, I mean, the concept sounds like it's, uh, oh, see, so that Amazon Prime description sounds a little less... A little less fun. It says, Birdie comes back from Vietnam mentally shattered and deludes himself into thinking that he is a bird, an animal that has obsessed him since childhood. His best friend, Al, Nick Cage, 
also a wounded Vietnam vet, visits Birdie every day, determined to bring him back to reality. Oh, it's going to be sad, is what I'm hearing. And Nick Cage is the rational one? Like, this is going to be interesting to see this version of his acting. But, yeah, feels sad. Great. We'll try not to make too much fun of it, I guess, but there's going to be something good, I think. Yes, we'll try to we'll try not to be too insensitive. Maybe this this role is one of like those few that he does that's dramatic before he realizes that that's not the role for him. Yes. Or maybe he goes over the top. Maybe he is the mega actor we know him to be. Who knows? All I'm hoping is that there's no tap dancers because if there is, I have no shame in ripping them apart (laughs) yeah i really hope he doesn't do any more like musical movies i i don't think i I can handle another one about to to skip the next one we have to watch (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we're clearly dedicated to this podcast (laughs) so dedicated All right. Until next time. All right. Bye. Bye. (laughs) See, you do the hand wave. (laughs) I do it. I can't help it. I can't fucking help it. All right. right. Are we good to stop stop this shit?